I tell you, I really like this one tonight because this is a very honest lesson about a guy by the name of Jacob. And I tell you, this guy Jacob that we've been studying here for the last few weeks, we can relate a lot to him. I see his spiritual highs, we see his spiritual lows, and what you even see in this chapter is him going between these different emotions of trusting Lord and then completely freaking out, if you will. So, I can relate to this, because at certain moments when you catch me, I can look like a spiritual foundation, and I trust the Lord with everything. Other moments when you catch me, I can look like the biggest scaredy cat, I guess, if you will, because my mind, my faith is not on the Lord. And when you see Jacob here, you see him jumping back and forth between this and this chapter, and it goes really great into the next chapter, and we just don't have enough time to do both chapters tonight. But what you see here is these extremes of emotions. And have you ever seen that in your own spiritual life, where you have these moments of complete peace, you're trusting the Lord, and you just feel like whatever comes my way, I'm ready for it. Then the next moment, you're just completely scared and worried and just everything is out of whack. And what you see with Jacob here is this emotions of going back and forth with that. The little bit of background that you have to remember with this, Jacob's now heading back home. It's been 20 years. When he left home, he left running for his life. He stole the birthright from his brother Esau. Esau wanted to kill him. It was very clear. Jacob ran. Jacob was scared. Jacob was afraid. Jacob was also wrong. He was deceitful. His name means deceitful. So he had every right to be scared. Esau was the man's man. Esau would have handled this very simply put. They wouldn't say meat outside of the back alley. It would have been meat behind the tent. Esau would have taken care of Jacob without any doubt about it. But Jacob fled. It's now been 20 years. And 20 years later, Jacob now meets Esau. So what's happened? You know, we know what's happened in Esau, excuse me, in Jacob's life for 20 years, but what's happened in Esau's life? Is Esau for 20 years stuck to this bitterness and this anger and this wrath? I mean, has Esau been waiting two decades when I meet Jacob? I'm going to do this. Jacob has no idea. So what happens? Jump right into it. Verse 1 of Genesis 32, it says, So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp, and he called the name of the place Mahanam. Mahanam means two camps or two hosts. And really this sets the perspective of what we're going to deal with here for the rest of the lesson. I think it's interesting that the Lord starts out by saying, I'm with you, Jacob. I think this is important. Because Jacob is facing possible death. He's completely run by fear. And if this is not evident enough, just jump ahead a couple verses. Look at verse 7. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Look at verse 11. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. That's honesty. Fear, afraid, distress. Fear is a powerful, powerful tool. Fear is also not rational. Because if you're rationally thinking about something, you're stopping and you're saying, Okay, Lord, I trust you. Fear is the absence of faith. And so when you allow fear to control you, what you really are saying is the situation is bigger than my God. That's what you're really saying. When fear gets the best of you, you're saying, This situation is bigger than my God. Now, a lot of times we wouldn't use the word fear. I'm not afraid of it. I'm worried. Or maybe we wouldn't use worry, because worried sounds like it's a sin, because the Bible says don't worry. I'm worked up. I'm anxious. Or if you don't even go that route, we say things like this. I've just been thinking a lot about it. That's all just code to say, I'm allowing the situation to control me rather than the Lord. I have a lack of faith, and this situation is bigger than my God. So I find it fascinating that the first thing Jacob sees here are these angels. Now, we don't give a lot of credit to this. Can you go with me to 2 Kings real quick? 2 Kings chapter 6. 
We don't understand the spiritual realm real well, and the Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail about it. Every now and then it gives us a little glimpse into it. 2 Kings chapter 6. As you're going to 2 Kings chapter 6, it really is kind of important here to also realize um, this idea, this idea of God giving His angels charge over us. And we see this, and we see what the Lord is doing, and we see how God is moving and working. In Psalm 91, it talks about this. God gives His angels charge over us. Now think about that for a second. There's a spiritual realm that we don't see, that we don't understand. And as we don't see this spiritual realm, it's just amazing to see what the Lord is doing and moving, even when we don't see it. There's angels watching over us right now. Now, that seems kind of weird. That seems kind of strange because we're not used to that perspective. But this is that spiritual realm the Lord is talking about. Jacob had a small glimpse into it. What you see here in 2 Kings chapter 6 is another little bit of a small glance. We're not going to go through a lot of verses of it. But what's happening here in 2 Kings chapter 6, you have Elisha and his servant. Well, the king of Syria was making war against Israel. You can see that in verse 8. So what happened was he wanted to take out Elisha. That was kind of the goal. So he wanted to know where this man of God was, and so where he would find him, he would then attack him and kill him. So, but what happens here? Verse 12. And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. What they're basically saying is this king of uh, Syria here is saying we can't even make battle plans because the Lord is revealing to Elisha what's going on. And then Elisha goes and tells the king of Israel. So we need to take out this prophet Elisha and destroy him. He's enemy number one, verse 13. So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, surely he's in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounded surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Verse 16. So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now stop there for a second. Don't read verse 17. Elisha has a spiritual perspective. He knows what's going on. This servant is a very honest servant. He wakes up and the town is completely surrounded by Syrians. This is not a good spot to be. Verse 17, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There's a whole spiritual realm that this servant did not even see. So when we see these verses where Jacob runs into these angels, we don't really understand that. We really don't relate to that. But this is a biblical theme that we see throughout the Bible. The Lord has this spiritual host that watches over us, takes care of us. And to be honest, I don't think we, till we get to heaven, will we fully realize and understand the spiritual realm that we don't get a chance to see in our fleshly bodies. We see a glimpse of it here with Jacob. We see a glimpse of it here in 2 Kings chapter 6. My point, though, is simple. If we know this is out there, and we know this is happening as we speak... It gives us even one more reason to say, why are we walking in fear? See, Jacob is walking in fear. What is Esau going to do to me? God is trying to set the perspective right now. Jacob, I have a whole army of angels watching out for you. You're walking in fear, lack of faith. You're saying this situation is bigger than my God. You're saying Esau's anger is bigger than God's protection. Just think about that. And how often do we do that in our life? That doctor's diagnosis is bigger than my God. That job situation is bigger than my God. Those bills are too big for my God. 
and we walk in fear and not faith. And so what happens? We act like Jacob. So the first point that we have here tonight, and I'm just going to give full credit where credit's due. I didn't want to do this. I tried to do it on my own, and I'm not smart enough to do this. I was reading a commentary today, and I'll give full credit, a guy by the name of John Corson, who I'm a big fan of. And he had these wonderful points, and they all started with the letter P. And I can never do things like that. So I tried to make my own, and it didn't work out. So I'm just going to give full credit. I'm taking his points. I'm just telling you that right now. He's smarter than me. I'm going to go with it. I like it. First point here is perspective. It's perspective. God is trying to tell Jacob, this is the perspective you've got to remember. I am watching out for you and looking over you, even though you don't see it. This is why it's called Mahanium, which means two camps, two hosts. The perspective is God is watching out for Jacob, even when he doesn't see it. So that's the perspective. So what happens next? Verse 3. Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau, thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and males and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. The next phrase here is this idea of peace. Jacob says, I'm going to try to make peace now. Now, I think that's good. The Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. How often do we in our lives sit here in a situation, you're upset at somebody, they're upset at you, so now it becomes this standoff on who can hold a grudge the longest. And we think we're being manly and powerful by holding grudges? What about going to them and making peace? And I've heard people say every comment you can think of. Me go to them to make peace? They're the one that's wronged me. Well, fine. Go and tell them that you forgive them and and that you're sorry for anything you may have done. Me? Sorry. They need to come to me first. Oh, come on. That's so unchristlike. We're supposed to be Christians. We're supposed to be above this. Jacob wants to go make peace. That's what he's trying to do, and he's trying here. Look at verse 5, that I might find favor in your sight. I give Jacob credit. This is good. He's trying to make peace. This is where I disagree with Jacob. Why did it take 20 years to do this? Why did it take 20 years? That's kind of sad when you think about it. Have you ever seen people that claim to be Christians hold grudges? It goes on for days, weeks, months, years. And I stop and I see that happening and I'm thinking, Christ forgave everything on the cross. And he made it very clear in Ephesians, just as Christ has forgiven us, can we not forgive others? And then I hear some silly comment like this, well, I may forgive them, but I'll never forget. Boy, that's just bitterness. That's just anger. That's just flesh. Jacob is doing the right thing by trying to go make peace. He shouldn't wait 20 years to do it. Quick point, simple point. If somebody has something against you, go to them and make peace right away. Matthew makes it very clear in Matthew chapter 5. He says, if you're going to leave your gift at the altar, leave it. Forget the sacrifice. Think about what Matthew is saying there through Jesus. I should say Jesus is saying in Matthew, forget the sacrifice and go make peace. That's how big of a deal this is. Don't finish the sacrifice. Stop what you're doing. Go make peace because that's a better light and a witness. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, yeah, I need to talk to them about it next time I see them. Make a time to see him. In fact, go call them right now. Right? I'm, I'm, stop what you're doing and go do it. Make peace. And you may say, well, they did me. They wronged me. Have you forgiven them? Have you told them that you've forgiven them? Let's be Christians in all we do and say. So the first word was perspective. This idea of Jacob, I'm watching over you. Perspective. Angels are with you. The next word here is peace. Jacob's going to go make peace. Now, before we get to the third point, does anybody have any quick questions, comments on the first things there? The angels being there, and also then Jacob willing to go make peace now. After 20 years, which is better late than never, 
Okay. Well, he's going to go make peace, but here's the problem. Verse 6. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. We find out next week he actually ranks his midwives, actually not midwives, excuse me, he actually ranks his wives in order. He puts his least favorite wife in the front, his least favorite kids in the front, and then he holds back Rachel and Joseph in the back. He actually ranks his family. He was so sure that Esau was going to come kill him that he starts dividing this up. And he's got this logic here. Basically, I'm going to divide my family. So if Esau attacks, I can at least get half my family out of here to live. Continuing our phrase, perspective. Angels are with you. Don't worry about anything. Peace. Make peace. Our next word now, panic. He's completely panicking. Have you ever done that? You've got peace from the Lord. You feel like this is what the Lord's called you to do. And you're making the right steps. And all of a sudden, you just have this flesh moment. And you completely freak out. Well, what happens if they see this? What happens if they do that? I don't know how many times out here at church, I've had such peace about something. And this is what the Lord's led us. And this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to share. This is the vision of the church. And I get up here behind the pulpit. And I get ready. And I look and I freak out. And I say, I can't say that. It scares you. You have these panic moments of what if. And it just doesn't happen to Jacob. It happens to everybody. Look at Peter in the New Testament. Peter's walking on the water. And then what happens? He has a panic moment. He sees the waves around him and he sinks. Moses. Moses decides that he's going to free Israel by killing one Egyptian at a time and burying them in the sand. Some Israelites come to Moses and say, what are you going to do? Kill us just like you killed the Egyptian? Moses has a panic moment. And what does he do? He goes and hides for 40 years. We all have panic moments. But you know what a panic moment is? It's fear. It's lack of faith. It's us analyzing the situation and saying this situation is bigger than my God. That's what a panic moment is. This situation is so big that I have to completely, utterly freak out about this because my God is not big enough to handle this. And we start playing what ifs in our mind and our mind starts to wander. So what does Jacob do? He panics. But he catches himself. Verse 9. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown me, your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. Lest he become and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Jacob catches himself, and instead of panicking, he goes to prayer. This is why I like Jacob. This is me in a Christian nutshell. Moment of freak out, followed by prayer. Then I'm freaking out again, followed by prayer. And it's just up, down, up, down. And I don't say that, that that's a good thing. I say it's a bad thing, actually. The book of James says that you're like on a wave tossed to and fro by the sea. And I know a lot of Christians that are like this. I try to keep my freak out moments private because I'm the one that's trying to act like I know what I'm doing up here. But I run into some Christians and when you talk to them, you're like, what am I going to get today? Am I going to get the panic Christian that is completely worked up about this or am I going to get the Christian that's walking in peace? Because we have these up-down moments and you see this with Jacob. He goes from panic to prayer. And look what he prays. 
He prays scripture. He prays what the Lord has already told him. You know, he says, this is what you said to me. Verse 9. I like that. Look at verse 12. For you said, I have, the, the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I pray scripture. Scripture does not return void. It's very purposeful in what it does. And it's powerful. And so when I'm worked up about something, I pray scripture. I don't know how many times this week somebody has contacted me and they're worked up about something. I said, go pray over Psalm 34 and Psalm 40. Two great psalms. Powerful psalms. Pray over those. Because it's that prayer that gives you strength. So look at this. We have the perspective that God's giving him. The angels are there. Jacob, don't worry. We have peace. I'm going to go try to make peace with Esau. Followed by panic. He's bringing 400 guys. What am I going to do? Followed by, let's just pray about this now. So now what happens? Verse 13. So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau's brother. And he goes through all the details here. We got goats, and we got male goats, female goats, ewes and rams. We have milk camels, and we have colts and cows and bulls and donkeys and foals, etc. This is what he does. Verse 16, he delivered them to the hand of his servant, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau my brother meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong, and where are you going? Who are these? Who, excuse me, whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, they are your servant Jacob. It's a present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, he also is behind us. So he commanded the second and the third and all who followed the drove, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also said, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterwards I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. If you follow what he's doing, he's taking all these animals and putting them in waves. Send out a wave. Now, second wave, you wait a little bit. The point is this. Esau's coming at him. Esau's got 400 men. Esau's supposedly angry. First wave hits and says, these are from your brother Jacob. They're a gift to make peace. Okay, they walk a little farther. Then they run into another wave. These are from your brother Jacob. It's kind of like Hanukkah, just another day again and again and again. The point is, is very simply put, is verse 20, I will appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterwards I will see his face, perhaps he will accept me. Now, I don't know how you want to look at this. You can look at this as wisdom. I don't see it that way. I see this as a man that instead of focusing on faith in the Lord, is now resorting back to his own intellect. If you're going to continue our little P idea here, it's planning. He's now going to plan his own success. How many times have you done that? You're worked up about something, you catch yourself, you're not going to get worked up about it anymore, so you pray about it, and as soon as you're done praying, you just start planning on how you are now going to take care of this. Rather than waiting for the Lord to take care of it, you feel like you need to take effort into your own hands to do this. You need to do verse 20. I will appease him. Well, that's not of the Lord. That's us trying to fix a situation. See, once again, now Jacob's back in the flesh. Now, God finally has enough of this. Because what we have here now is the story takes a completely different turn now in verse 22. Now, before we get to our final points here in verse 22, does anybody have any quick questions about the first couple points? The perspective. Angels are there. Jacob, do not fear. Peace. I'm going to go make peace with Esau. Followed by, okay, I'm panicking. I'm freaking out about this. Nope, now I'm going to pray about it. Followed by, nope, now I've got to plan this. And i got this great plan on how I'm going to make peace with them. And you see all these different emotions going back and forth, back and forth. Instead of this man of faith just stopping and saying, Lord, I trust you. 
You see these emotional ups and downs of him trying to fix it, him trusting the Lord, going back and forth. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about this before we move on? Alrighty. Story takes a turn here. Verse 22. He arose that night and took his two wives, his two female serpents, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the fort of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle, the shat shank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and the muscle that shrank. Now, that's a kind of a crazy story. You know, looking at this, this is Jacob wrestling God. Now, we see this, and we think of Jacob wrestling God, and we see these passages here where it says that in verse 25, he saw that he could not prevail against him. This does not mean that God was not powerful enough. What it means is it shows that God said, I'm not able to break this guy's spirit. See, I've done this before with the boys. I'm still bigger than them. I'm still stronger than them. When we want to wrestle, we can wrestle. And I can get them on their back. And I can put my knees on their legs. And I can put my hands on their shoulders. And those boys aren't going anywhere. And you can do whatever you want to them. Every now and then, Elias, he's got this weird side to him. He says, Dad, will you torture me for a little bit? I'm not kidding. That's what he says. And he wants somebody to hold him down and tickle him. So I can wrestle with them. I can overpower them. But the interesting thing is, Judah, my second, will give up. Just like that. Kenan will give up pretty quick. Laden, our fourth, he won't give up. He won't. I cannot prevail against him. It's not that I'm not stronger than him. It's not that I'm not bigger than him. He has got so much fight and spite in him. He will keep on fighting. This is what's going on with Jacob. God is basically saying, Jacob, give it up, man. Jacob says, I won't. I'm not giving up. God has to break Jacob. Think about what Jesus said. Jesus said, you will either fall on the stone and be broken, or the stone will fall on you and crush you. And that stone is Jesus. What Jesus is basically saying is this. You will either fall on me, and your life will be broken in a good way, and you'll give your life completely over to me. You're now broken. Or if you choose to fight me, I'm going to fall on you and crush you. There has to come a time and place in your walk with the Lord where you are broken. There has to come a time and a place where God wrestles with you and you let him prevail. Jacob, in chapter 32, has moments of prayer, followed by moments of panic. He has moments of peace, followed by moments of, I'm going to figure this out. God says, Jacob, i got big plans for you, man. I want to use you. I'm actually going to change your name to Israel. You get to be named after the nation that I've called. What What a blessing that is. I want to use you, but... You gotta quit fighting me, man. One of my favorite translations of a passage, it's actually found in the book of Job. It's only translated this way in the New Living Translation. It says something like this Why do you fight with God when you know you will not win? But isn't that the truth? How often do we wrestle God? We do this with Jacob. And 
we'd keep fighting. So what happens is, God takes him, and what does he do in verse 25? Just touches. Touches the socket above his hip. And it says right here that Jacob then limps in verse 31. And actually, when you see Jacob numerous times now for the rest of his life, the Bible says that he either has a cane or it says that he is now leaning against a bed. This is not an injury that he healed from. He kept this limp the rest of his physical life. What does that limp represent? It represents a new walk with the Lord. Some of you are carrying some scars from wrestling with the Lord. And you know what? Those scars are there to remind us and to be a witness to say, we have to trust Him. Just stop and ask yourself right now something. Are you wrestling with God? Is He trying to prevail in an area of your life you're not willing to give it up? He loves you. He's going to pin you down. He's going to pop your socket out of joint. Out of love. And guess what's going to happen? Verse 31, you're going to limp the rest of your life. Because God says, I care for you so much that I have to win this battle. He's not going to force you. And look at Jacob. Look what Jacob says right here. Jacob would not let go. Verse 26, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Verse 27, so he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Now that's an interesting thing. And we've said this many times out here before at church. If God ever asks a question, he's never asking a question because he does not know the answer. He's asking a question to have you think about the answer. I heard a pastor say this one time, and he says, why would God ask what Jacob's name means? Because Jacob's name means what? Deceiver. He says, this is confession, verse 27. God is saying to Jacob, what is your name? And Jacob is saying, I'm a deceiver. That's what I am. Jacob is basically saying, for 20 years I've been running from this. I'm a deceiver. I stole the birthright. I wronged my brother. I wronged my dad. I'm a deceiver. God, I'm wrong. That's why God says in verse 28, new name. Did you catch? What does Jesus do for us according to the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation says this, when we get saved, he gives us a new name. Because we're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. What you have here in Jacob's life is really not a salvation moment, because that salvation moment happened earlier when he was at Bethel. What you have here in chapter 32 is Jacob saying, I'll now let you be my Lord and my master. You already were my God but now I'm going to let you control my life. Think about that. Have, have you ever done that? You believe in God. You believe in Jesus. You believe in the truth of the Bible. There's not a doubt about it. You're saved. You're born again. But have you ever really stopped and said, Lord, I'm all yours? I mean, seriously, Lord, take everything. And if that means knocking my hip out of joint, knock my hip out of joint. They give me a new name. I'm done fighting you, Lord. I'm done wrestling with you. I am completely yours. And I see so many Christians wrestling with God month after month, year after year, decade after decade. And you want to stop and tell them, quit fighting God. You're not going to win. What you see here with Jacob is a man full of pride, a man full of stubbornness. And God says, I'm going to bust you of that right now, boy. And that's exactly what he does. And Jacob comes out of this a different man. He's now called Israel. He's now a different man. And this name here, Peniel, means facing God. And guess what? Verse 31, he came out of this with a limp. An actual physical limp. Now, for many of us, we don't come out of it with a physical limp or a physical problem. We come out with a spiritual thing where the Lord says, I remember when he broke me of this. That's the most loving thing that he did. So look at this. Put this all in perspective. God tries to set the perspective in the beginning of the chapter. Jacob, the angels are with you. You have nothing to be afraid of. Jacob responds in peace. I want to go make peace with Esau. Esau shows up with 400 men. Jacob then goes to panic. I'm going to freak out about this. He catches himself, prays. 
tries to get back on track, but then he decides he's going to take care of it himself. I got this great idea. I'm going to send this wave after wave after wave of animals, and I will appease him. Finally, God shows up in the middle of the night and says, I've had enough of this, Jacob. It's time to break you of this. God wrestles with Jacob, and he basically says, Jacob, i got big plans for you. I can't have you be who you are. I need you to be a different person. Put this all together. I don't know what point applies to you. Maybe you need to know the perspective that the Lord is always watching out for you. Maybe it's the peace thing. Maybe somebody has wronged you or you've wronged somebody. You need to go make peace with them right away. Maybe it's the panic thing. That describes you right now. You're completely freaking out about everything. Maybe you need to be reminded of the prayer part of this. Lord, I seek you. Maybe you're the planner. You can always figure it out. You got the ideas. Lord, thank you for your help, but I got this covered. You need to realize you can't plan yourself out of problems. Or maybe you're the last one. You and God just need to have a wrestling match. And realize the Lord will prevail. He loves you enough to pin you down and say, we can't let this continue. I need to be Lord and Master and Savior of your life. Let me be the one that leads and directs you. This is where Jacob changes another time. We've had his first encounter with God at Bethel. Now we see him start to say, Lord, it has to be you. He's not a perfect man, trust me. We have a lot of up and downs with Jacob, but you see him growing, growing. Quit wrestling God. Let him win. God will prevail because he loves you enough to do that. Ryan, may I have any quick questions, comments here? Ryan. Right, I would say he would know, know it's not a normal man because it seems like it looks like verse 24. He was alone. He was uh, wrestling with him to the break of day. This idea of touching the socket, this idea of verse 28, the authority of calling him by a different name. I think Jacob put it all together there. I think it would be kind of, it would be one of those moments where he would know it's something deeper than that. I think back to uh, Samson's parents. When Samson's parents met God and they said, you're going to have a son, you're going to name him Samson. After they left this conversation, their parents said, wow, we just saw God. I think there was something about this where he realized this was something bigger than just a man. The more time he spent with him, the more time he realized this is something more than just a man. Anybody else have anything here before we go on? All right, let's pray and we'll let you go. Heavenly Father, help us to learn from Jacob here. Help us to know you're watching over us even when we don't see it. Help us know you want us to be peacemakers.